0: No one in the fucking world wants to wear leggings that feature a bee crawling up your couch.
1: Hi, I'm Madison Malone-Kircher. And I'm Rachel Hampton, and you're listening to I See I Am In case you missed it. Slate's podcast about internet culture. Rachel, did you see that Britney Spears is engaged? I know, we're starting with good news, which I love and adore because we so rarely do. I saw the announcement and I just thought, I'm so happy for her.
2: I really, I know there's been a lot of talk about parasocial relationships <laughs> on the internet uh, in recent weeks, but I really am so happy for my close personal friend, Britney Spears. She, We've been through some real things together <laughs> over the decades. I'm
1: sure you're really going to enjoy the wedding that you're definitely going to be invited to. You know who else is
2: definitely going to be invited to this wedding? Octavia Spencer. (laughs) She was in the comments of this engagement announcement being like, make sure you get him to sign a prenup, which honestly, great advice. We love that advice. Like, yes. (laughs) Today on the show, though, unfortunately, we are not uh, talking about Britney Spears' forthcoming nuptials. We are talking about women, lots of other women, getting into business, getting into trouble. I'm talking, of course, about the big business that is multi-level marketing, or MLMs. Uh, Put far too simply, an MLM is when you sell stuff for a company and you make money both based on the amount of stuff you sell, but also on the number of people you recruit to sell more stuff for that company?
1: (sighs) MLMs. You know, I don't think I actually knew what that acronym stood for until just now. I just was always like, huh, the Avon lady, Mary Kay. Are those your earliest memories of MLMs? Oh, yeah. I don't think I've had any experience. Oh, I think one of my friends at one point sold Cutco knives, which I think is an MLM. Cutco's an MLM? I didn't know that. Man, oh, it might not among be. Us. It might no, not be. No, 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 no.
2: <laughs> Googling, what are we, MLM? ML. Um, okay, so it, it is an MLM, but it says it's not an MLM. But yeah, the LA Times says that certain parts of Cutco's business are an exact match for what an MLM looks like. So do with all this what you will. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently they're really good knives. <laughs> I definitely had a friend growing up whose mom must have sold Mary Kay because she drove the the Mary Kay car the pink car the, that you got if you sold what? enough makeup. Oh, I don't think I ever knew anyone who got high enough
1: in the Mary Kay ranks to get the pink car.
2: Yeah, I also remember like a lot of Pampered Chef parties my mom would like begrudgingly attend <laughs> at Wait, various what is, people's I've houses. I've never heard of that one. What is that one? Pampered Chef, it's kitchenware. Oh, so like Cutco. Kind of, yeah. I mostly remember my mom coming home with this little plastic tube, sort of like a it was like a square glue stick. You would push it up from the bottom, and you would put a stick of butter in it, and you would use it to butter corn on the cob. It was very handy. It was very handy. It was like a butter glue stick for your corn on the cob. It was from Pamper Chef.
1: That sounds like something that's in the infomercials at like three a.m. when you wake up from the dead sleep on the living room couch.
2: I think it's the thing you buy when you've like been forced to attend this party hosted by a friend, and then you feel guilty that you have to purchase something, and what you come home with is the butter glue stick.
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel like people, when they get kind of recruited into buying things from the MLM, the way I first thought about it was like Girl Scout cookies, but then it, it abundantly, it becomes
2: very quickly clear that it is not Girl Scout cookies. No, no, no. In fact, I want everyone listening to this to pretend you didn't hear the phrase Girl Scouts because the Girl Scouts are wonderful and we shouldn't even be like uttering that organization name in the same breath.
1: Girl Scouts are amazing. I was a Girl Scout. My mom was a Girl Scout leader. But like the the, the first parallel you have when you're being sold something by someone you know is like, oh, this is for, I'm just helping them out. Like, but then you're like, oh, wait, (laughs) this is an MLM. (laughs) This is not just cookies for charity. (laughs)
2: <laughs> there is, I guess, a slight connection there in that the business of MLMs, it's, it's a women's business. 75% of people in these direct sales marketing companies are women. And we're talking specifically about an MLM today called Lula Row, because there's a new documentary out on Amazon Prime called Lula Rich. And it is a bonker story <laughs> of a, uh, a leggings company gone completely off the rails.
3: When I started LuLaRoe, I couldn't even afford a $5 box of cereal. Four and a half years later, I was just able to buy my dream home. I had achieved the dream. I almost felt like a real housewife. My department alone was bringing them a million dollars a day, easily. (laughs) And There's
2: a kind of magic in the air. Based on what? Based on selling an opportunity. Some of these people have not yet sold anything.
1: This is a story about the internet, about just hopping onto Facebook Live. This is also a story about women, specifically white women, about white women staying at home with their kids and looking for ways to make money, which, unfortunately, a time-honored tradition. And this is about the company and the companies just like it that exploited that situation. MLM's are perhaps best at exploiting people in need of flexible work and more income, which is a situation that more and more people have found themselves in since 2020 when we all were stuck at home
2: without ways to make money. LuLaRoe is a company founded by Mark and Deanne Stidham in 2013. It all starts when Deanne starts organizing parties to sell children's dresses for cheap, which then turns into her selling Maxi skirts, basically just like popping up the trunk of her car, hauling out these bins full of maxi skirts and turning them on a pop. A big pop. She says she was selling some 10,000 skirts just a few months later, you know, at 10 bucks a piece and just had dollar signs in her eyes. What's
1: interesting about that 10,000 figure is that the documentary Lula Rich doesn't really follow up on where she got these skirts or who was making them. They <clears> kind <throat> of just accept at face value that her daughter asked her to make a maxi skirt and she just loved it so much. And so she just decided to keep popping them out when uh, in case you've never like made anything by hand, no one's going to sell anything they make by hand for that cheap and be able to turn a profit Or be able to have that much output. She was most likely buying these from overseas and selling them as handmade. And, like, this lack of follow-up in terms of the origins of where the clothes come from is a consistent blind spot in the documentary that we'll get into later.
2: That's actually an entire trend on TikTok of like small business owners and creators. There's this audio that goes like, It costs that much because it takes me fucking hours. Mm-hmm. From like <laughs> small yeah. artisans who are like, Please shut up about how I price my skirts. I made it by hand. It
0: costs that much because I don't have superpowers. superpowers. You need to pay for my skills because exposure doesn't pay the bills. It costs that much because it takes me fucking hours. Ba-ba.
1: No, exactly. Like, it's a lot of times, a lot of work, it's a lot of effort. Like, when friends have offered to make things for me, I'm always just like, "Uh, are you sure you don't want me to pay you for this?
2: Because, like, it's a lot of fucking work. So, eventually, Deanne, again, the dollar signs in her eyes, realizes she can grow this baby. This doesn't have to just be her in a car throwing parties. She starts bringing in other sellers, growing the business up, growing it out. And their big mega-hit product they sell shirts and dresses and these like flowy vest things everything is oh like God, fairly I about those <laughs> yeah yeah everything is fairly modest in its construction uh you know it's stretchy it's comfy but where they really hit it out of the park is they start selling leggings and remember this is a company founded in 2013 we are in the peak leggings are pants wear a slightly longer shirt to cover your ass and head out the door era
1: I think you're you're forgetting something about these leggings, Madison. What
2: am I forgetting?
1: You're forgetting that they're buttery soft, which is a oh my phrase God. <laughs> that is said so many times in this documentary.
2: <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm now just picturing you wearing leggings and then applying the butter glue stick to your cat, <laughs> like to your thighs.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's how I get into all my
2: clothes. You know? <laughs> just butter myself up. No, so buttery is like the key the key word. And that was what LuLaRoe was selling. It worked like this. You would need about $5,000. That's a 5,000 US dollars to buy into the company that would get you your startup product that you could sell at parties on Facebook. You know, this was a business brought to you largely thanks to the timing of its rise alongside Facebook Live, you know. (laughs) Hi, I'm just popping on We'll give it a few seconds. I want to give people a little bit more time to get here before I start selling. You really had an
1: alternative life as a LuLaRoe <laughs> saleswoman, because this is kind of stressing me out by how realistic this sounds.
2: But I'm serious. Just as LuLaRoe was encouraging women to sell this shit by any creative means possible, Facebook's algorithm behind the scenes was pushing video, 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 video. Live videos were so much more likely to be seen in news feeds, a.k.a. you'd have a way better chance of finding somebody to buy your leggings. And that – MLMs are a lot of smoke and mirrors and trickery, right? And this is sort of a funny third factor in feeling like you had this really successful business that you were investing in and growing. (laughs) I mean, people in the documentary were talking about how they would get in
1: a new box of product and just immediately unbox it, go on live, and by the end of this stream, have sold everything that they ordered. And that kind of success is intoxicating. You're basically getting money for doing nothing but talk to a camera.
2: So this idea that you can hop on, you can just hop on a Facebook Live, open up a box, and by the end of that Facebook Live have made hundreds if not thousands of dollars, that's so enticing, right? This is a small Sarah. Small Sarah, hi Regina, how are you? I haven't seen you on here in a minute. Small Sarah, number 362, 362. This is gorgeous, that's a navy background, sweater, fabric,
1: oh, so good. Super. But what's important here is that the actual real success in LuLaRoe didn't really come from those Facebook Lives. It looked like it did. You could feasibly make a lot of money, but What LuLaRoe and most MLMs are about is recruiting, which is where the real money is. The more people you recruited under you, the bigger recruitment bonuses a seller could be eligible for. And originally, LuLaRoe recruitment bonuses were not based on how much the person you recruited sold. It was how much they bought. Okay,
2: you all know where this story is going. LuLaRoe just explodes as a business. And then sort of implodes. It's still going. So implode is perhaps not the right term. The company still kick in despite a number of lawsuits against it and settling for millions of dollars with the state of Washington. But people are getting more hip to LuLaRoe thanks to reporters who have been covering this beat for years and also this documentary. The word cult gets tossed around by a lot of people who have gotten out of MLMs, specifically people who have gotten out of LuLaRoe, because... The deeper in you get, the more likely you are to start seeing the cracks. In 2016, the top 0.01% of retailers at LuLaRoe made $150,000 in bonus. The bottom 70%, however, made nothing. Absolutely nothing. And if you're in that bottom, the way MLM speak describes you, makes you feel, what they tell you is that it's your fault. Actually, at a convention, they... uh. Call those people miserable cows. And this is not Lularoe specific. Like MLMs, and we're going to talk about this, are a decades-old tradition dating back to the you know the mid 20th century in the United States. And this is always the narrative, right? It's like you're unhappy in your life because you're not trying hard enough. You're not hustling hard enough to sell Herbalife or to sell Holiday Magic or whatever, whatever it may be, Amway. It's your fault. You're a miserable cow. And if you look around at all the other happy cows and the company that's growing and growing and growing, you should be able to do what they're doing. LuLaRoe, and I, I don't know how many more times we can say this, there's one MLM playbook, and all of these companies are just <laughs> cribbing from it. No one has any original ideas. And LuLaRoe's shtick is putting family first. It's all about, you know, building up women. But it's really about building up women to support men. <laughs> There's this whole concept in the business that they talk about in this documentary that I found fascinating about retiring your husband.
1: Oh, that was absolutely wild. But I mean, this also gets back to the way that MLMs specifically are bound up, not just in evangelical Christianity, but also in the case of LuLaRoe, specifically the Church Church of Latter-day Saints.
2: The idea of retiring your husband being he has a job and you're home with the kids, but then you start selling LuLaRoe. And eventually you're making so much money from LuLaRoe that your husband can quit his job and come into the LuLaRoe fold and that will just be what you do. It's not lost on me that LuLaRoe's very literal origin is this exact saga, right? This is Deanne's business. She figured this out. She was the one hustling to sell dresses and then maxi skirts. And then her husband came on board. Not the other way around. All right, I have one question. What the fuck is the deal with these
1: leggings, okay? Like, they're ugly as sin, all right? So they have to actually
2: be buttery soft, right? I'm so glad you asked, because after the break, we're going to try some out for ourselves. We're going to get to feel the butter firsthand. We're also going (sighs) to answer another big question you probably have on your mind, which, uh, to to quote Rachel, is how the fuck do these companies (laughs) get away with this?
1: More on that after the break.
2: OK, we are back with leggings, courtesy of my local Buy Nothing group on Facebook, uh, who found me a pair in like 15 minutes when I asked if anybody had some. Because if the story of LuLaRoe has taught us anything, it's that women and specifically moms, just we should put them in charge of the vaccine effort. Honestly,
1: yes. Seeing this documentary, I was like, damn, if Deanne used her powers for good, everyone in the world would be vaccinated right now. So, Madison, you meet up on the street with a neighbor. You get some... Lularo leggings. What are your first thoughts as you're handed how how
2: many pairs? Four pairs. This woman handed me four pairs of Lularo leggings. Uh, Thank you, Lila, for loaning them to me. Here's what I'll say. They're stretchy. They're totally fine. They're soft, I guess. They don't feel any more or less soft than any other pair of cheap leggings I have ever purchased. The tags say made in China, made in Vietnam. Lila told me they wear them as pajamas. So... H&M, quality leggings,
1: is what I'm kind of getting from this description.
2: Honestly, yeah. Like, same factory you have questions about, different store. So while I don't recommend the leggings, we are recommending that you watch the documentary, especially if you're new to the world of MLMs. I would also recommend a podcast called The Dream. Uh, It's a podcast hosted by Jane Marie, and it spends, there's, there's two seasons. Start with the first season. It's about MLMs, and it will walk you through sort of the wild and tragic history of multi-level marketing in the United States. I absolutely devoured this podcast. And the thing I liked about it is that Jane Marie talks about the women who get into these businesses in a way that isn't like judgy or shamey. And let's be honest, like I'm guilty here too. It's really easy when your former high school bullies are now the one messaging you on Facebook that like, hey girl, like wanna be your own girl boss? Like here's an amazing opportunity, right? Like that's so easy to dunk on And, and possibly a little bit deserved. (laughs) But also, but also, you know, these companies have a history of getting to operate in the open legally, even though we can so plainly see that maybe they shouldn't be, that by design, they promise this success and wealth and riches and happiness that literally it is impossible for everyone participating in them to achieve. You know, they target women, low income women single moms, groups that that need and rely on these things that these MLMs promise and can't deliver. We do have to shift gears a little bit, though, right? Because I think this is one of those, we talk a lot about how things on the internet you can hold in two hands at once. LuLaRoe MLMs and how we think and talk about women, you're juggling. We are are juggling a lot of balls here because Lula Rich is, is theoretically a documentary about exploited women,
1: And it is, but only about some women, which is perhaps what struck me the most. I mean, like, this documentary seems to pretend that, A, non-white women don't have those exact same problems and haven't had those exact same problems of needing flexible work and wanting to raise their kids. But also, specifically, doesn't just leave out hypothetical men of color. It leaves out the actual women of color who are making this company go, specifically the garment workers. The manufacturing of the thousands of leggings that Lululemon put out in a day is never talked about. We don't go into a factory. We don't see or hear from anyone making these leggings. The only time one of the manufacturers is talked about in this documentary is when the head of that manufacturing company and Mark Stedham get into a fight and decide to part ways, AKA the men are fighting. (laughs) I did learn a lot about their fancy cars though. I mean, so fun that they race fancy cars together, but no airspace in this documentary is given to the fact that My which is the company I was just talking about, the one that Mark Stedham got into a fight with, is based in Asian and Central American countries, which means that these leggings that these white women were so enthusiastically selling were 100% made by mostly marginalized women of color who are experiencing the exact same precarity that these white women are, except with a lot less protections. I mean... There's probably a reason for that, which is that this documentary is made by Amazon. I was just which... <laughs> going to say that,
2: like glass houses and stone throwing and all that. They made a billion dollars in
1: wholesale in one year. Do you know how many leggings that is? Do you know how much effort, how much work that is and how little the people who are actually making them are actually getting, was, were probably getting paid? Which brings us to the racialized aspects of MLM's. And the fact that MLMs largely seem to have come into fashion as the bottom fell out for white people. The
2: documentary does a a decent job of, if not explaining at least, laying bare how white LuLaRoe was, how white it is, from the consultants all the way up to the top. We don't hear from many people of color in this documentary, with one exception being one of the few black women Lachey Kimbro, who was a former LuLaRoe corporate employee turned very successful seller. She was, in
1: fact, so successful that she got invited on one of the special cruises. <sighs>
3: Being on a boat with a whole bunch of white people like that, just not my thing. I'm so sorry. I just had to say it. I love white people to death just being on a boat in the middle of nowhere and it wasn't only but a handful of us, if you know what I mean. I'll just pass. I'll see y'all when y'all get back. But thank you for the invite.
1: God, Lachey, the true MVP of the Lula Rich documentary. (laughs) But, I mean, she gets to an important point, which is she said there's only a few of us there and she's kind of just pointing at black people and MLMs like LuLaRoe seem to have a foothold mostly in rural and suburban America I read a piece that said there were only about 10 LuLaRoe sellers in Manhattan during the height of the LuLaRoe craze like all of Manhattan, the borough of Manhattan like
2: <laughs> that's insane. okay I'm actually <laughs> comforted by that because I can neither confirm nor deny that during peak LuLaRoe I did have some Midwestern friends who would like post about their buttery soft leggings. And I kind of thought, huh, maybe I should own a pair.
1: (laughs) But the way you're describing how you came to know LuLaRoe is the way I think a lot of New York media came to experience it, which is from people back home posting on Facebook, AKA the network, AKA most white people's network is entirely white. And that is kind of how the whiteness of LuLaRoe is explained. But it doesn't really get to why MLMs like LuLaRoe don't appeal to people of color. People who have always been locked out of traditional routes to making money. Is it the startup cost? Like $5,000 is a lot of money. Is it the underlying message of like prosperity gospel slash American dream, which underlies literally so much of MLM culture? You deserve to be rich if you work hard enough. If, you, if you're not rich, it's because you're not working hard enough, which If you know anything about being Black in America, you know that that's that's fake. In some ways, those answers kind of get to it, but in others, they don't. MLMs like Avon or Herbalife are much more racially diverse, but that's rarely ever explained. And I don't have the answer. (laughs) <laughs> but I do want someone to find out the answer. Basically, I want someone to do the dream on the Avon Lady.
2: Yeah, please, please tune in in eighteen months for our Avon Lady documentary. <laughs> so, speaking of
1: questions and of business models,
2: I have, I have, I have a
1: query for you. If we were to say start an MLM,
3: Ooh.
2: what's your business plan? Ooh, all right. I don't know what we're selling, and frankly, it doesn't matter what you're selling. Uh, <laughs> you just need I a mean, good you're adjective. You're not selling anything. <laughs> you're not selling anything. But I, I came away from this documentary, in the sinister side of my brain thinking, like some evil genius could 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 start one of these companies. And if you could keep your greed in check, you could get away with it forever. Like, where this blows up for Mark and and Stedham is because they're like, the growth opportunities were endless. And it's like, well, maybe if you'd just been happy being like low-key millionaires. I guess what I'm saying is, uh, I should probably talk to my therapist because my takeaway from Lula Rich was, huh, I might be good at this. What would you sell, Rachel?
1: Oh. Madison, you if you need to talk to a therapist, I perhaps need to be committed because I already have a fully formed business plan that I've mentioned. This is my party. (laughs) This is one of my you know, when you have routines at a party that you kind of pull out when this conversation starts getting stale and you're like, this is where I shine.
2: Yeah, I'm from upstate New York. Oh, where in upstate New York. Well, just north of where you fuck your cousins, but south of where you fuck your siblings gets them every time.
1: Incredible. Uh, My version is that I think there's an untapped potential for white guilt. And my (laughs) entire business scheme would be to basically turn white guilt into money for me. There is no kind of like, I'm not trying to help anybody else but me. It's entirely selfish. What the scheme is, is that if you pay me money per month, And there are tiers, there's $1 a month, there's $5 a month, there's $20 a month, whatever. You get different tiers. I will absolve you of your white guilt. And you get a little card that says, I sponsor a black person. And you can pull that out whenever anyone says you're racist. And you show this as your get out of jail free card. And so I just really feel like a lot of white people would pay for this. <laughs> and you can't get on me for having a pyramid scheme cuz there's no one below me. I'm not inviting anyone else in this. It's just for me.
2: Look, I'm I'm going to go all in as your first investor in your in your, <laughs> your reparation indulgences businesses. Yeah, in I'm reparations the cats of indulgence church. <laughs> reparations indulgence. I can say that 5 times fast. Mm-hmm. Rachel, this is not a pyramid scheme then. <laughs> you 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 failed the basic <laughs> the basic question. Well, there's tears.
1: It's just that I'm at the top of the tier and there's nobody else below me, but there are tears of white people.
2: Well, Rachel, I will be your first customer and I will bring lots of white ladies in buttery soft leggings with lots of guilt (laughs) and toe, camel toe. Alrighty. That is the show. We will be back in your feed on Saturday. Consider subscribing. It's the best way to make sure you never miss an episode. You get to hear about all our questionable MLM ventures. You can also leave us a rating and review an Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends about us. Grab a stranger's phone on a public bus. Download an episode. That could be fun uh, for you. If you do it, we don't know you. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're at ICYMI underscore pod or email us, ICYMI at Slate.com. Who knows? We might just have you on the show.
1: ICYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader. Our supervising producer is Derek John. Forrest Wickman, Allegra Frank are our editors. And Alicia Montgomery is executive producer of Slate Podcast. See
2: you online. Or on Facebook Live. We're gonna to get to feel the butter firsthand. We're also gonna answer <laughs> feel the butter. <laughs> lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've
1: gotten lucky?
0: Lucky?